All right, we'll give everybody a moment to come in. If you're visiting, visit. Don't stop. Go ahead. All right, everybody. If you're online, good to be seen by you. Um, we'll get started. As we let everything settle and... All right. Well, good morning, everybody. We didn't get to do this last week. Uh, there is a video. I don't know if everybody knows. There's a video that we put on YouTube. Um, if you saw that about last week, it went on like later, way later in the week, but it's on there. Okay. I think it's a uh, 31 minutes long. 31 minutes, like the lat for last week. I think the dates on it and the t the. <laughs> it still took me a minute. Yeah. That's okay. Well, this is, that's what this is. We're open, think of like an interactive sermon maybe, or uh, not just one person's talking. Um, today we're in Luke 9, 49 through 62. And um, big theme in today is discipleship. Um, people are coming wanting to follow, copying what they're witnessing, and Jesus tells what it means to follow him. And he sobers them to the reality of what discipleship means, and um, there, there's some encouragement in the text as well as we can get from other texts of what discipleship means as well. Um, what it means and that there's a cost. So before we go into this, let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is this is your word. This is, we're watching you move and listening to you speak. And we pray that you would enable us to be good recipients of your word as you are a good provider of your word. And there is no other word we subscribe to but yours. I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And I thank you for the message that was preached and preached so well today. Really do believe we heard the language of preaching coming through. I thank you for our pastor. But more, I thank you for the good shepherd of our souls who's leading both our pastor and us as we speak and as we hear and helping us so that we're not reliant on our own interpretation, but reliant on the grace given to us to understand because you speak truth and you enable us to understand it. So help us to adhere to all that you are and all that you're saying and Thank you so much for the opportunity and for these words and for your hearts as you reveal it to us and sanctify your word in us. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's get into it. We're getting a late start today. It's all right. Um, all right. Anyone not against us is for us. That's the heading over our passage now. And John, starting in verse 49, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. All right, so this guy, the one they saw, um, he saw a need, and what he's doing seems to be working. John didn't say he's trying to cast out demons, says he was. Um, that he has faith in Christ, and God is blessing this faith. It, it seems to be the real deal that's happening. And he has the faith um, Jesus' own disciples didn't. 
John saw him as not in our group, so he's wrong. And so we can oftentimes think that um, someone who's not in our specific tribe with the heading over, who has the same heading over their life as ours. I mean, we need to have that Christ heading, that Christ alone. That's what makes the Christian a Christian. But um, we can often think that just because they don't you know, necessarily, not of our denomination, not of our um, political, whatever it is, this here, I don't want to say political, but this here has to do with, with kingdom. John sees him as not in his group, but someone who's doing something over here. And we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. So he's not specifically in the group. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. All right, so there's two options. And we'll go into against and for. Um, but two options. Jesus says in Luke 11:23, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So you're either with me or against, with or without, we'll talk a little bit about that, in his fold gathered or out of it wandering. Adopted child with childlike faith, that's meekness, or orphan, self-bastardized rebel, rebel. Gladly submitted or indifferent rebel. John exhorts his readers about this, about the... the, uh, the their love of the world in, in, um, in, in 1 John 2, uh, 15 through 17. We won't go there right now, but I want to talk about against and for as we really get into it. But Jesus didn't... Uh, all right, first against. Jesus didn't say that these who aren't simply... Uh, but Jesus didn't say that these who aren't with aren't simply doing something else. Uh, what, what I'm saying is... Um, they're actively against. It's not just that they're trying something out over here. He doesn't say with me or without me. He said they're against him, against, against them. So in opposition to, contrary to, that's what against is. Um, and all that, all that isn't good according to God in his is active rebellion against him and his people. None are so isolated apart from God so as not to be against him if they're not in him. There's no, hey God, you're over there, I'm over here, let's just keep doing our own thing and mind our own business. All these belong, all things belong to God. Exist by God, exist for God, and will return to God, even those in rebellion against God, will have one day tongues that do confess and knees that do bow. Rather, one is in, uh, uh, rather one is in religious or naturalistic or spiritual or political, whatever it is. If one isn't in Christ, that one, those ones, are plaintiffs, a defendant, a judge of Christ, a rebel against, a rebel against Christ, a persecutor, a culprit, an assailant, an aggressor, an enemy, etc. Of Christ and his church. And the big point of this is neutrality is an illusion. And Psalm 24 1 says this The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. 
the world and those who dwell there within. So there is nothing that doesn't belong to God. Um, and now let's talk about four. We talked against. Here is four. Others' faith is being generated by witnessing Christ. They're saying, let us come and work. He's saying, the only thing that matters is rather one is with me, in me. We can do what he commands on our own and not with him savingly. The with him precedes the working for him. Worry about this first so that you don't have to worry about anything else. Worry about the with and then joyfully strive in the for. See, Jesus rebukes John. He doesn't affirm him. So the one, this man, who was stopped by John was believing in Jesus. Jesus doesn't, correct, doesn't affirm John. He affirms this, this man. And I want to just a gospel note here. God's forness, God being for us, being aimed at God, being aimed at God comes from God. He first loved us. He was for us first before we were for him. His being for us initiates our being for him. In 1 John 4, 7 through 11, John writes this, this very John who Jesus is rebuking here. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And, whatever, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us so much, we ought also to love one another. And again, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Romans 5. Um, Paul says this. This is good news for bad people, this I've heard. Therefore, I'll just read this as it lays. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The object of our faith is what gives us the peace within our faith. It flows through it from him. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that we may, um, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom, who has been given to us, given to us. Like this is just 
one good thing after another. Just when you think it gets as good as it gets, he has more. He'll see. Look, let's keep going. For while we were still weak at the right time, still rebels, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the gospel. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might even dare die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like in the state that we don't want to put before God, that's the state he died for us in. Like he knew what he was buying. That should cripple our shame. Since therefore we have been, and then that's all I really need to say to make my point, but look, it, it gets better and I don't want to, there's more. Uh, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more shall we be reconciled. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More, see there's more, it just keeps the gospel It doesn't end in its goodness and its blessing. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Savior, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So he, he reconciled us, that means brought us with, and he saved us, that means he keeps us there. It's not just with, it's kept. I brought a board to a door and I nailed it there, it's not going anywhere, I don't know. Um, that's really good news. Hey, uh, Rich, everything that you were reading sounds so much like saving grace. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about if you're not against me or whatever, mm -hmm. there was some Christianity doesn't look at it the way you read it. Yeah. And I get it. What I'm getting at is what happens if they feel that they love Jesus first. Mm -hmm. And that's how they got saved, or how they got justified. Because a lot of times, people think they're justified if they live a good life. After then they're justified. So, what happens when we come across people that think the opposite of what you were reading? Well, if we is what I guess I'm asking. Yeah. Well, if we treat them like John, we should remember this it's rebuke of Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Something I read in a, a Paul David Tripp book, and I'm, I don't I don't know if it's from him or not, but he said change is not an event; it's a process. Now it starts with an event, and so sometimes it takes people 20 years to really grasp really grasp a few things okay. and we shouldn't expect immediate, immediate like yeah because this this is this is hard to swallow stuff and actually i would say not hard to swallow it's impossible to swallow unless god gives us that understanding that really brings it home for us like brian was talking about today humility humility is the hardest thing and it, it takes humility i don't know that's we, have, we, we, have, we, we think we can do things in our anger here, like John's angry, and we're about to see him get angrier in 
Arena, or further down the road, rather. And I think of that verse from James 1, 20. The anger of the wrath of man does not accomplish, does not produce the righteousness of God. And so we, with all of our zeal, can't make someone understand what is only revealed by sovereign grace. Thank you. That's good. That's good, Lord. Thank you. And you know, our tribe, the Reformed, get a, we're passionate about our doctrines. And so like, we're, we need to hear this all the more. I got some really good rebuking when Leonard was talking this morning. And some, some intimate time with the Lord in communion before the cross because I get tunnel vision. <laughs> and I keep justifying the same thing I'm asking forgiveness for, but adhere to the doctrines, but don't smash someone with them, I guess. Don't. I can talk about that for a while. Okay. Um, all right, so verse here. Okay. I think we said enough there. Okay. Verse 51, when the days, this is the, where the story switches, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, okay, so Luke is anticipating what's coming because he knows the full story. He set his face to Jerusalem. All right, so Luke just told us what he, what Luke, Luke knows he's heard the full story, but Jesus knows while he's in the story. That's sovereign destination. That's sovereign. He's sovereignly purposed. Um, you can read through. Um, acts, and we'll see the entire ministry had this thrust of the sovereignty of God behind it. He was accomplishing things. He had things. He had appointments to keep, and he had an appointment with the cross. That's what he was there for. Uh, I think Luke twenty two twenty two says he. Um, I'll just read what it says because we're right there. Luke twenty two says. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. Like, God didn't just deploy his son like soldier jumps out of an airplane, airplane, parachutes down, and he's in there and he's improvising his way onto victory with the goal in front of him. No. He went just as it has been determined. Everything Jesus is accomplishing is, is determined. He's completely sovereign every step. All right, so he set his face to Jerusalem. That also makes me think of when he's outside of Lazarus' tomb. And it's, he's angry. And, he's, and in the text in the Greek, there's this word that means he snorted like a bull at, the, like, at death. He says, death, I'm coming for you, in a way. He ends death. And that's, he sets his face, his face according to the determined plan of God. Say, I'm coming for you. He sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. There it says it again. All right, so this is disagreement. Leonard went over that pretty well today. There's Samaritans and Jews disagreed about holy places. Um, and when his disciples, James and John, saw it, 
they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? All right, so they're thinking Elijah. They know that, they think that's an option for them. <laughs> um, but they're, all this rejection, they've been rejected from towns and towns, kicked out of here, kicked out of there, kicked out of parties. This lifestyle, they're feeling it. Plus, John, the disciples have just received, they received rebuke at the transfiguration, rebuke at the bottom of the mountain when they get back down. Um, he, John just got rebuked, singled out and rebuked. Here it comes again, fourth rebuke in chapter 9 from Jesus. And so he's feeling this. All right, for, the, for the Samaritans to reject him, that's, that's it. But that's sanctification. That's how God makes you holy. That's where God meets you. Because our remaining waywardness will fight to stay alive. And Jesus comes along. Because we can, we can accomplish so much in our anger. Like our, our anger, it's a strong emotion. It gives us the sense that we can accomplish, pow accomplish powerful things with it in it. And he turned to them and rebuked them. I mean, it's just said twice. He is dogged towards his destination. Verse 51, he set his face to Jerusalem. Next verse, he set his face toward Jerusalem. Now he turns from that. His face was set, but he turned for this. Jesus won't let things go off the rails. A sharp rebuke is necessary here. John's emotions, his affections are out of place. Elsewhere in the scriptures, um, he's called the sons of, he and his brother are called the sons of thunder. It's a nickname for them. Um, so we can, we can tell from that that they, they had a pretty rowdy background. And then you read his letters later, First John, his gospel, and you you meet this guy, you, or you meet this guy who's all about love and gentleness now. So he's completely disoriented now. But after being sanctified, he comes to that place decades later where we can re read about the very Savior whom he's tasted of, and be changed as well. And Jesus here, there's a proverb I thought of, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's what Jesus is to him. He's not just blatantly annoyed with them and sinful annoyance. No, this is the kind of, like a good friend will come beside you and tell you where you're wrong because they love you. And they went on to another village. So apparently the disciples got caught up in this feud, this Samaritan and Jewish feud that was going on in Jesus as prescribed they do when towns don't accept their messages at the beginning of Luke 9 he leaves he says they don't accept your message wipe the dust from your feet leave nothing can be done in us nothing can be done by us rather in regards to softening hearts and Jesus is on a mission so he's not like Jesus is the they, they rejected him there's nothing left there's no reason to stay. 
He's not merciless. He came to them in the first place. He included them. He didn't ignore them. And then the last part here. Also later we know that the church after will come back here. The cost of following Jesus. Okay, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Don't we are, we all who are devoted to coming to God, to coming to our God's word, have this sincerity within our declarations to find we have it in the heat of the moment, but maybe the next moment the heat's waned. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. No den, no nest, he's homeless in a way. <laughs> no home or even a home base. I know Capernaum's thought is his home base. He eats there a lot, but to find refreshments, like the foxes can go back and get refreshments and in, their, in their holes, in their dens, birds in their nests. Following Christ in no way means a swanky lifestyle or glamorous plushness. There's a lot of rejection and suffering, not much respect and no love from the world on a social level. And on a personal level, there's foregoing and self-denial involved. Foregoing what? In, these, in a relative sense, I don't know. But we're told worldly pleasures in 1 John 2, 15. The same John who's... All right. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Wish we had more time. Um, A lot of things are obvious what we should be foregoing and whatever that whatever that takes our affections from the Lord or pulls us off course, that thing is a dangerous thing. And the Spirit makes our hearts sensitive to these things. I don't want to put a weight on you of this self-evaluation. The Spirit will convict your heart. And sometimes we'll tighten our grips on these things. grace comes again and there's foregoing because we Christ shows us his ultimate worth and then so then what we're holding tightly drops but what you forego or what you get what you receive rather is worth infinitely more Jesus has supreme value that's better for you than anything that you could hold on to otherwise lyric in a citizen song that I love it's you give life that is worth the loss of mine verse 59 to another he said follow me so people are coming to him but he's also calling 
But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. So there was a Jewish custom, as Leonard said today, maybe this, his father wasn't even dead yet. And if he was, this could have been a year-long ordeal with ceremonial aspects and mourning and a proper burial. It was a high priority then to give a proper burial, especially to the, uh, the patri in a patriarchal society of, the, of, the, of the, the, the father of anybody. But Jesus knew this. So to excuse oneself from service must take something of even higher priority. This was an important thing back in the day, and he was asking Jesus to postpone Jesus says here, the higher priority, this, this, this is it. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Saying, listen, mine is a ministry of life, and I'm leaving you. Jesus, he's kind to come to us and offer. But the train is leaving, and it will not wait. We must come at Jesus' call and on his terms, not on ours. Not when it's convenient and comfortable for us, but when we're mercifully given his hand. Hebrews 4, 7 says, again, he appoints. That's love, that's sovereign language. Um, a certain day, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in rebellion. I think it's the book of Hebrews says that. Whoever writes it, the author, put, he keeps saying that. Today, 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 like the gates open. The gospel's complete, come. Following Jesus means moving when he moves, like the Exodus cloud, they followed it. Jesus was in the cloud. I don't know what you have in your garage, but he has a tornado. Um, they followed it in the, in the night and the day, whenever it moved, they went. Following isn't making our declaration of allegiance to God, but receiving and adhering his declarations from himself. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, saying, I'm sincere, you're my priority, but let me say farewell to those at my home. I think I'm terrified to be tested in any one of these things. Um, in any of these circumstances, so really, we're to be a people with our lamps lit, on call, like a doctor, ready for every good work. If, if that's you, then that's him in you. Don't make any grand declarations alone, but faithfully, but faithful movements, rather. Don't say, I'll follow. Follow. There are no partial participants, but full-time followers of childlike faith. Uh, childlike faith is something, we, we didn't get to take the class last week, um, but there's a video online if you weren't in here when I had said that earlier, from last, for last week. Um, but we're to be a people of childlike faith those who stay with him when he's gone and follow him in their hearts as well as with their profession. When the opportunity comes, their Christ is. 
in them, still on mission, ministering in truth and action. And remember, our Lord's saying in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom and the rest will be added to you. So we often think of what we forego. But Jesus says, God will add to us the things that we need. Your heavenly father knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God. And he says this next thing here, which ends the chapter and does away with any reservation present within us that um, aims at an easy discipleship. He knows how to encourage us in ways that when we feel the weight of it and the impossibility of it gives us the strength to and the faith to, to actively walk in it. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I, I remember the first time I read that verse. So he's talking about straight rows here. If you put your hands on a plow and look back, you're going to veer. Don't focus on what you lose, on what you might lose, but what you receive, what you've gained. Have, long, have a long view, eyes on the prize. We will lose heart and stumble, but because of grace, we can run the race. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. Um, this is Paul. For I, am for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So there's a cost um, to following Jesus, but I think the cost of not following him outweighs it. Leonard Ravenhill said, oh wait, disciples saw this, the cost of not following him, or the, and they saw his supreme worth. Like in John 6, 68, Peter says, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. He saw it. And Leonard Ravenhill said, no one stood by Jesus. Maybe nobody will stand by you. It's a lonely life but a glorious life. And then Jesus says, and anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Will receive a hundredfold of all they left and eternal life with it. There's the more of the gospel. So you never stop receiving. I've been doing battle with the word accept in my heart lately. Um, I think there's a difference between accepting something and receiving something. Like if you accept something, 
it has to go through your worthiness. It has to, so if you accept something, oh, okay, thanks. If you receive something, thank you. It, it's different. I don't like that accepting Christ into your heart language. It's a gift to be received. I don't, you don't see that acceptance language anywhere in scripture. I mean, I don't say that. They, there's parts where it says they found things hard to accept. God allows us to go through that process of weighing that acceptance. But then we receive it. I think reception is... A little bit nagging. <laughs> you can accept something but not really appreciate it the way you would. Yeah. It's yeah. the reservation. But when you receive it, it's more you. Mm-hmm. Has been in my mind. Yes, fine. Take it. And I, th I think God saves people like that too. <laughs> yes, begrudgingly accept something. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> like, I don't know, I remember C.S. Lewis seeing it, hearing about his story of his, he called himself the most reluctant convert in all of London, right? Uh, wait, like, fought against God all this time. And then, I don't know, he was on a trip to the zoo with his brother. He was in the sidecar of a motorcycle, which is a cool place to get saved. Any place is a cool place to get saved. It's about salvation, not the place, but, like, still, it's cool. He said he left for the zoo, not a Christian, and arrived at the zoo, a Christian. He finally lost and, uh, and received it. He could never accept it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm still thinking. I should probably <laughs> wait till I have it figured out before, clear before I do that, say anything. So here, salvation is the free gift that costs us everything, but in it, you receive everything. Christ is worth this price and worthy of our gladly giving everything. We might lose homes, but he's our home. I think that's a big point he's trying to, he's, he, he's waiting for us to discover, to discover once we've tasted the joy and then we read this. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Like God's your home. I'll take that lifestyle. What is it to have everything I want now? We might lose things, but he's our treasure. We might lose people, but we gain God. What else is worth this price for Christ alone? And so next week, after this, he appointed 72 others to go out. We'll talk about that next week. Really excited for chapter 10. I have a quick question. Yeah. Okay, like in the timeline of everything, you know, like when he says, you know, drop everything and follow me. 
And then when he says to his disciples, you know, people are going to not like you, and people are going to mock you in the, in the name of me, and you need to go out and you need to tell God the word and do all these different things, and then there will be a baptism. So in my mind, I think, and I don't know if I'm wrong, but I think, you know, the first thing is, is when we accept God in our heart, we know that he was here, he saved us, and we get baptized. And the next step, which is one step, would be that we follow him. And we give up all of the things. And, and giving up to me is like it's not important. Well, the like baptism me, is the following. To me, my yeah. house is not important. I think that's yeah. the way of giving it. It's okay to have those things, but if those yeah. things have you, right. then you that's different. Delete, right. And then so then the next step is, is that we're going out and we're kind of evangelizing just like the disciples did. And we know in order that we're going to get mocked and persecuted, just everything. Is that kind of, is that the timeline, or can you follow Jesus and go out and do those things and yet not be baptized? It wouldn't. It would have to be. So the disciples were baptized, correct? If you have the, uh, the um, I guess that's the because in my mind I, I always want to think baptism is always the first scripture step. about the disciples. I mean, maybe we can infer it. Because he from the cross wasn't baptized. Yeah. I think you know, yeah, so that, that's a message like, though. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you're thought, able, you would have been a, then, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think the disciples were. I think it was evident. I don't think the scripture needs to tell us that because of how they themselves taught it. You know. When I read all these things that you different, just read, there's different times when I think I'd be. I don't think I'm Pentecostal. I still have my house. You know, mm -hmm. I still have. I mean, I, I have a battle with the world. I love the world too much, I think. And I do, I think, would I really have walked away from everything? You know, it's yeah, hard. The things he challenges with us are relative to the person. Like he tells some people, like he tells the one guy at the, the rich young ruler, give up, you lack one thing, give up all you have. Like that's what he needed to hear. Mm -hmm. um, so where the spirit presses on you, think in my mind, like I tell new Christians coming in, you know, baptism is kind of like the first step, you know, you accept Jesus Christ in your heart, you know, that he's there, you know, that he loves you, you get baptized, and then the work really starts, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, then he starts pressing on your heart and doing all these other things, but I'm thinking now maybe, because he just said, you know, drop everything and come follow me, maybe he's just thinking, yeah. I don't know, I guess that was confusing for me in my mind, but think maybe it's not a time of, does that make sense now? Yeah, I mean, really, I don't know if there's step of following him is in his initiating or his his saving you so he comes so that comes first yeah that that yeah. precedes everything we have no like with our free will we have the desire we can desire salvation with our free will 
but we, with our free will, we cannot desire God himself. And that's who Jesus saves us to. And so within that, we can't, we can't, we don't have the ability within ourselves to muster up, to faithfully obey him. Yeah, we can, we can surface obey, we can do some good things he tells us to do, we can feed the poor, we can provide material salvation and that's good and we should but even all the benefits of what we get it entails into the giver of those things himself and so he establishes that with that so that we're all about God first and then we proceed in to obey and to give baptism 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 isn't yes we should be Baptism is the cause, uh, result of that saving work, not the cause of any of it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to comment on verse 58. And then however he causes you to obey after baptism. That's right. That's hey, Rick, I, I want to comment on verse 58 because Christ is saying foxes have dens and the birds of the sky have nests and the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Mm -hmm. But when he was in the boat, when Peter was walking on the water, he was asleep, and his head was on a pillow. Yep. So people will contradict this passage. Christ is a man, and he was talking in a spiritual sense that he's always awake now. He's up in heaven on the right side of God. Mm -hmm. He don't sleep. He's God. Yeah. So... When he says to when he says to another, follow me, that means when we sin, we ask the Lord to forgive us. And when we do, he's awake. And that he's makes us there. realize yeah. he's not sleeping. He's not like, oh well, where are you, God? No, a Christian feels that he's always there for us. All we have to do is ask. We're in trouble. We sin. We mm -hmm. ask for forgiveness. Yeah. And I believe that verse in fifty-eight is a spiritual thing. He is awake. He, he don't go to sleep no more. He don't go to sleep, but he did when he was in the boat. But he was he was man at the time. Yeah. And so I look at verse 58 as spiritual that he's with us all the time. You know why? He don't sleep. Mm -hmm. He's awake. So and Here that's how I look at that. I think human beings, they didn't have he didn't have a set house where he lived in the old I country. understand that. And I understand that. He went around that. teaching. Yeah. But He's and he, other people took him in. You can look at it from, from him now. Yeah. Somebody and I follow him around. even after I sin. I ask for forgiveness, and he's he's awake. Yeah. He's not he's not ignoring me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he is. And so that's I guess, how I see follow me. You know, like we're not perfect, but we. So in that verse alone, are we talking a literal like yeah. right now when he's walking on earth, or are we talking about more of a spiritual when he's saying, "Hey, look, when I die, and whatever," like he's saying that it's all. As it counts for this setting right here and yeah, now, this. we're still aware of our sin. 
because we're still sinners, if I guess is what I'm getting at. Right, and right. I don't, I, I'm not trying to spiritualize mm -hmm. it myself. I think he's just trying to tell us, I'm awake. Whenever you're my yeah. son, you're my child of God, I'm, and if you're in trouble, call on me. He's and making that's where I'm going with it. And, yeah. and we don't. We, we ignore it sometimes. Yeah, I mean, he, he's awake and well now for yeah, all of our fumblings from failings. Yeah, nobody's perfect. Yeah. We all got to go to him some time or another, and he's awake. Yeah, it's and not perfect, but things are perfect. Yes, I, I regret taking up doing this sometimes because right. the last year has been... Family time special. Thank you, Mike. Very good. But yeah, as it counts for those in this setting, what he's actually saying is in real time. Mm -hmm. um, yes, he's always, like Leonard was saying today, he's after the thing behind the thing. He's The hard words reveal just telling them and us telling them here and us now it's Jesus talking to them here spirit talking to us now that this following me means some things for you but Yeah, I mean, again, just wherever we are, 
we don't get to the, God has a purpose for each one of us. That yeah. means we have, we think we choose it. <laughs> <laughs> we think we chose it. Yeah. Dad might, might rape himself. <laughs> really? And, uh, we're not trying to excuse ourselves, yeah. but here's, here's where I'm getting at. People think if they got baptized that it's an automatic, they're in. And that's not the, that isn't the way we're supposed to look at it, but a lot of people do. A lot of people think if they go forward and accept Jesus, they're saved, and that's all they got to do. And that's, that, you know something, we all fall short, and it's God that preserves us and keeps us, and that's how we got to think. Uh, if I do a good deed and I give somebody a hundred dollars, oh boy, I did, I did a good thing, you know. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is yeah. we have to think that salvation comes from the Lord. Mm-hmm. We didn't earn it, like what you just mentioned a little bit ago. And I think when we talk about baptism, it doesn't save, but it, but it's an obedient thing. Yeah. And we're supposed to be obedient all the time, but we don't earn it. I don't know. You don't get baptized to be saved, but because you're saved. So anyway, but it's good to get baptized. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) He commands it, right? In His great commission. Absolutely. I mean, it's a command that we should do it. Christ, and we're baptized into the church locally. It doesn't save us, but it shows that we are saved. That's what obedience does. Obedience does. Obedience is the overflow of salvation. All this stuff can be really heavy, and yeah. I know I make things I just want to be honest that we just got to just have this yeah. conversation with the Lord on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Just pulling myself and going, what what today can I give up to have time to spend with you? Just every day, just consciously doing that through the week. Yeah. Like just, yeah. Because before I didn't do that. Before I'd be at work, and by the time yeah. weeks going by, two weeks by, three weeks by, four weeks by, five weeks, and you realize the only time you've had contact with That's him is in exactly church. exactly right. Because things, ha- you know, what I mean, I, I, subconsciously, that's what he's saying here, basically, you know. Yeah. But it's hard. It, it, it's a conscious thing to get up in the morning and go, yeah, okay, what can I take out of my schedule today? Yeah. How much time mm-hmm. can I spend at the coffee shop in it the morning? It does you. Right. So you're trying sure. to do that, and yeah. just trying, and it really has really cleared my mind about where I'm going and what my vision is and how I'm doing things in my life. But yeah. every, it's I don't know. Word. He's just saying simply this. He's being a Christian involves foregoing. It involves, and that foregoing in no way compares to what we receive. So that's a really.